point to someone next to you, around you, just say, you're doing a good job. Just tell them, you're doing a good job. Yeah, that's right. You're doing a good job. And some of you are thinking, what did I do? What did I do? Some of you are saying, that's right. I know I am. I know I'm doing a good job. I told you I was doing a good job. But really, did you know that you are doing a great job as the church? See, church is not the building. Church is the people. That's what church is. And that's what we've been learning in the past couple of weeks. And this being our year of focus, we've been focusing on our Sunday mornings and our Wednesday nights and, and what God wants to do there. But He calls us to be the church. We've been learning that the church are the called out ones. We don't come here to stay here and learn and then that's it. He says, no, you're the called out ones. You go out into the world and you let other people know about this good news. Some of you might be new. This might be your first time. We welcome you. And you're wondering, well, I don't, what good news? You don't know what I'm going through. There's no good news in my life. Well, there is good news. And that's why we're here today. We're going to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ and how we're being the church. He wants us to be the church, not just to attend church, but to be the church. We're also going to look at three different individuals, a man by the name of Samuel, another man by the name of Ezekiel, and then, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find is that they were able to bring out the best in other people and in situations. They were able to speak in situations that looked dry and dead, in situations that looked hopeless, even situations where man looks on the outside. And we're going to find out that there's so much more in people that God wants to bring out, but He wants to use you as the church. You can take out your notes that were in your bulletin, and you can write this scripture down if you're taking notes, because I'll be in the book of Samuel right now, First Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And in this story, there's a man by the name of Samuel. He's one of the prophets. They call him the seer. He's one of, the, one of those who God used to speak to the nation of Israel through. And he used this man, Samuel. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? They're saying this to Samuel. And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. In other words, go get yourself cleaned up, set apart for the Lord. Get ready to worship the Lord and offer this sacrifice. So sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel is already picking out who he thinks is going to be the one. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. So it's almost like this audition that's going on, you know. Okay, let's start with the oldest guy. He comes up, yeah, the biggest warrior. I can take him out. I can be the king, so you can choose me. And he's saying, uh, no, you're not the guy. So he's gone. Next brother comes up. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So you can imagine Jesse being the dad, being the father, saying, I'm giving you the best of the best. I mean, look at them. They, they've been working out. They're tough. These guys are warriors. They can handle. They can be the king. They, they, they qualify. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. I mean, there he is. He's keeping the sheep. He's, he's, he's a shepherd. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him here. For we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And I can imagine Jesse thinking, Not this little scrawny kid. He's, he's just but a teenager. Then Samuel took the horn, of, the, the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So you can already see that as human beings, we always look on the outward appearance. We look at what we see. But God says, that's not what I look at. I look at what's on the inside. I see the heart. And so we can learn from Samuel that there's a way that God brings out the best in people. It's not the outward appearance. It's what's on the inside. He goes after the heart. The second person we're going to look at is a man by the name of Ezekiel. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 37, chapter 37, and I'll read from verses 1 through 10. And some of you know this as the valley of the dry bones. Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, speaking as Ezekiel, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Some of us look in the mirror and we say, boy, my face is dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And sometimes we say that to ourselves. Can I even survive this next day? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews in you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And sometimes we feel like that. There's just no life in us anymore. We're not living, we're just existing. 
And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So we start off with just dry bones, no life in them. And God says, speak life into them. So he prophesies. And sometimes we hear the word prophesy or prophecy or a prophet and we think, oh boy, that means they must tell the future. Well, it's not necessarily just telling about future events. It's really foretelling. It's bringing out the best. It's, it's bringing out what is on the inside. In fact, they use the term when they say prophesy. It's also a term that means like water to cause to bubble up. And so it's like many words are being said. In other words, God is saying, you got to speak something. You have to speak encouragement. You have to speak life. You have to speak this out of what seems dead. You can't just say, oh, it's dead. It's dry. There's no hope. He's saying, you must speak into it. Many words must be used to bring about this change. And just like us with each other, we got to speak life into each other. Cause encouragement to bubble up. Not negative words. When someone makes a mistake or we do something and there's a flaw, sometimes we say all the things that went wrong rather than what good can come out of it. And we say more bad than good. When we should be the opposite way, where we should encourage and cause to bubble up what God has on the inside. Third person, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1. I'll read from verses 1 through, excuse me, from verses 43 Through 51. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, 43. uh, Yeah, verse 43. And it says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Well, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I I mean, this town, what good can come out of it? Sometimes people will say that about you. What good can come out of you? Look at where you're from. Look at your background. What good can come out of you? How, How can you become this person? But Philip said to him, come and see. In other words, it doesn't matter where he's from. You just need to meet Christ. You just need to meet him. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Have you ever been sitting in church and and a word is spoken or, or you're listening to the message and then you feel like the pastor says something about you and it's like, well, how do you know you leave church thinking, how do, how do they know? It's really the Lord Himself. He knows. And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter... You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here you have Jesus Christ, 
seeing this man, Nathaniel, just an ordinary person, and saying to him, I see no deceit in you. God's going to open up heaven for you. You're going to see heaven open up. There's going to be great things that happen in your life. Even though Nathaniel didn't think that anything good was going to come out of Nazareth, even though he had some doubts, Jesus still believed in him. In the book of Luke, and this is the last uh, story that I'm going to read, Luke chapter 19. And this is Jesus once again. And I'm going to read from verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19. Verse 1, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So now here you have this tax collector. Not only do tax collectors at that time, some of them were crooked. They would receive the tax, but then they would add on an extra percentage for themselves. But this guy Zacchaeus was a chief tax tax collector. So not only was he despised by people and hated, they kind of hated him even more. Like, we hate this guy as we, we chiefly hate him. So we don't like this guy. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So the people see this, and then they question Jesus. They're saying, wait a minute, do you know who this is? This is the chief tax collector. This is not just some ordinary just tax collector. This is the guy in whom is cheating all the people. Jesus, if anything, talk to him about, you know, sharing the wealth. Maybe talk to him about what he's doing is wrong. How can you, being who you say you are, hang around with this guy? How can you do that? So now they have this complaint. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now think about it. You have these three people, Samuel, Ezekiel, and Jesus himself, that they were faced with these different situations, but somehow was able to bring about good in every situation. Well, now you have this man, Zacchaeus, who Jesus enters his home, and, and they have this relationship building time, and, and Zacchaeus just openly says to Christ, you know what, I just want to pay everybody back. You know what, I have enough stored up that I can pay them fourfold. Imagine if you came to the place in your life that you said, I'm just going to, for everyone I cheated, I'm going to give them back. For everything that I've done, I'm going to give them back. And Zacchaeus said, I'll do that fourfold. Which means he had enough. And he says to Jesus, I surrender it all. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your home. 
See, Jesus, he, he has a way with us. He's not about the outward appearance. He, he didn't say to Zacchaeus, you know, you're a chief tax collector, so, you know, I, I saw your bank accounts, and uh, you have more than enough to give out. You can pay back. He didn't do that. What he did is he touched his life. And it was Zacchaeus who said, boy, you did something great in me. You changed me. Here's what I'm going to do. See, they, these men, Samuel, Ezekiel, Jesus, brought out the best in people. And I wonder, do we bring out the best in people? Do we speak life into people? Do we look at a situation and say, we can do something with this? Even though it looks like it's dry bones, even if it looks dead, can we bring about something that can thrive in our marriage, in our relationships, at our work environment? It looks dead. Same thing every day. Can we bring something out of it? How can we bring out the best in it? This morning, as we are in our year of focus, we're going to focus on three principles that will empower us in being the church so that we bring out God's very best. Not just in ourselves, but in others at the same time. Because God wants to use us to do that. You might be saying, but that's not me. I am not that kind of person. I'm not eloquent. I'm not like so-and-so. I, I'm not as bold or gifted or creative or outspoken. In fact, I'm not close enough to God to qualify bringing out anything from anyone. I'm not even near that. You might be thinking, I, I'm trying to be at a place where I'm just getting to know God. So I, I don't even want to go near trying to bring out in others I don't even want to talk to people about God. I'm not even there yet. Did you know that regardless of where you think you fit, that God still wants to use you? He still wants to use you. Even as little as you believe in Jesus Christ, even as little faith as you have in God, God still can use that. Yeah, but what if people judge me? What if, they, what if they say, oh, but you go to church, and how come this? How come you don't do that? You say about God, but you don't do this. You're going to say that about us anyway. We have nothing to lose by letting people know how great God is and this good news. They're going to do that anyway. See, there are things people will hold you to, not because you're human, but because you go to church. They're going to hold us to it. But we have everything to gain in being the church. Here's what we can do. The first thing, and we can all write this in, is to embrace. Embrace your belief in Jesus. Yeah, but I don't really believe in Him. I'm kind of checking it out. Okay, that's, that's what you embrace. Even if it's a little bit, embrace that. Well, I know He loves me. Then embrace that. Whatever it is you believe in Jesus, embrace that. Well, I just think he was a great man. Then embrace that. Because when you embrace that, then you can grow from there. And then God can use even what little you give to him to do much. That's that mustard seed faith. He says, if you have a mustard seed of faith, I can do that. You can move mountains. We can do all kinds of things. Because it's not going to be you or I. It's going to be the Lord. That's who gives us the strength, even if it's just a little bit, because it's going to be the Lord. I mean, who, who spoke to Samuel to anoint David? Who was it? It was the Lord. It wasn't some other guy that said, hey, you know what? We need a king. I say, you go check out Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Go check him out, because he has sons. They're big. They're strong. They may be the next king. It was the Lord God himself. 
who moved through Samuel. Same thing like Ezekiel. Who spoke to Ezekiel? It was the Lord. Ezekiel didn't conjure this thing up and say, Oh, there's this one valley of dry bones I was walking by. I'd like to see what can happen if I speak to it. It was the Lord God who spoke to Ezekiel to do this task. Same thing like Jesus Christ. He came into the home of Zacchaeus. It's the Lord that will do these things, not you or I, but he's looking for the church in order to move through. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. It tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Then it says this, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either. And this is Paul the Apostle speaking. Even though I'm in prison for Him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. And I was like, okay, I read this scripture, sounds great. Up until the part, get ready to suffer. I was like, I like everything else. Everything sounds great. Power, yep, take the love, that's self-discipline. Oh, not going to be ashamed. Yep, great, great. Suffer. Suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. But thank God we are not going to suffer like Paul. Thank God we're not suffering like him. He was in prison. He got imprisoned for sharing the good news. Now, many people are imprisoned. Many people have gone through and are going through what Saul is going through. But I don't think we are. He was beaten. Stoned to death. Left for dead. And he says, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. I'm so thankful we don't suffer like Saul. And we think we suffer when we talk to people about Jesus Christ because it's sometimes difficult to do so. And be the church. Because it's so hard, we say, to live this life. But it's really not. When you love God, being the church doesn't become difficult. It becomes a privilege and an honor. I was driving home and this one car was on the side of the road. And so I just pulled over and, you know, just asked them for help. And they said, well, I, I called my friend. He's coming. Should be here in an hour. I said, you want anything? I can get you McDonald's. It's right down the road. Drinks or anything. You're going to be here for a while. It was hot. And he said, no, 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 no. That's okay. And I said, okay. So you're just going to hang out? They said, yeah. People were passing by. Hey, Sheldon. I said, hey, how are you doing? And people were going slow because it looked like there was an accident. And I'm thinking, I wonder if people think I'm in the accident. I wonder if people think something happened between us. And so I just kind of let that go. Then uh, I'm talking to the guy. And then he says, hey, so, so what do you do? I said, um, now, right at that point, when he speaks this, this is what goes on in my mind. If I tell him I'm a pastor, he might turn him away and he might say, oh, that's okay. I don't need your help. I'm good. I'm good. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to know anything about the Bible. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to go to church. Don't invite me to anything. Don't pass out anything to me. I'm thinking this. And so, and then I'm thinking, but he's asking I can't lie. I'm a pastor. So I can't say, well, and I'm trying to think, how do I say this without turning him away? Have you ever been in that situation? You don't want to turn people away. And so I'm battling with this. And um, I say, oh, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, what church? I'm like, oh, man. Now, split second in my mind. What church? And I'm thinking, oh, boy, what if I say New Hope Hilo? And he says, oh, I went to that church. It sucked. 
Oh, I went to that church. So-and-so did this to me. They said this about me. They judged me. They did this. And now what? And I'm thinking, oh. So I just, you know, I just told, oh, New Hope, Hilo, Hawaii on, the, on Kupulau. He goes, oh, yeah. I heard about that church. And, and uh, you know, I live out far this side. So I never get an opportunity to go up there. But if I ever have a chance, I'll come check you guys out. And I said, yeah, that's fine. Come check us out and that'll be great. As I'm walking to my car, another friend passed by. Pastor shouted, hey, how's it? Everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's good. And I'm thinking, what if, what if I, I tried to, you know, circumvent that situation and, and then someone said, hey, Pastor shouted. And the guy says, oh, so you are a pastor, aren't you? <laughs> but I left that situation and I was thinking, why am I ashamed I should, be, I, should be, I should be so honored and, and thankful and, and find it a privilege to be identified with the very thing that brings salvation to this world. Why, why is it that we come against... Now, you may be different. You may be bold. You may be the type of person that may pull over and say, Hallelujah, hallelujah, can I pray for you? Let me pray for your car. How's your engine not working? The Lord can heal your engine. The Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, look, it works. See, the Lord healed your car. See you at church. You might be that person. I'm not that bold. That's not me yet. I'm still working through this. And I think many of us are. And I think we come to the place of why, why is there hesitation? And I think most of the times, for me, it's, it's because of the way the world perceives church. The way the world sees Christians. And sometimes we don't look so good in the media as Christians. Because this is what happens. One bad Christians, all bad Christians. That's how we believe the world to see Christians. And sometimes that happens. But it also happens the other way around. As a Christian... We see people and one bad person, all bad people. But God says, I don't see how you see. You see on the outside, I see the heart. I see the inside. Embrace, even if it's just a little bit of faith, embrace what you believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Did you know that God has given us power? But it's not just for us to use and live this life following Him. It's so that we can dish it out. As powerful as the good news is, as powerful as we know the gospel of Jesus Christ is, it still has yet to be received to become as powerful as it is. See, I look at the good news as being the Bible. The Bible is, I look at it this way. It's like a warehouse. You have certain merchandise in a warehouse. That it's available for the people, but, but nobody can get to it unless there's a storefront. And that they bring out the merchandise into the storefront. And then... Because it's on display, people can receive. The Bible is like a warehouse. The church is the storefront. Where God displays the good news. Otherwise, how will people know that it's good news? It's being the church. Ephesians 3.10 God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom 
in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, what the Bible is saying is there's not one person that you cannot reach when you as the church become the storefront. That we can reach every single person, everyone, because we're, we're rich in variety. We can, we can reach all kinds of people. You'll reach people I will never reach. I'll reach people you will never reach. But together, as the church, we reach everyone. For everyone who believes, salvation can come to them. Second thing is this, that we can learn. Don't just attend church. Be the church. Now, this may be difficult because we're learning. So don't beat yourself up over the head if you're not being the church. We're learning about this. Don't just attend church. Be the church. And the best place to start is right at home. That's the best place to start in applying what we learn here on Sunday mornings. Because sometimes we're here on Sunday mornings. Things are great. But then Monday and the rest of the week, it's horrible. We've forgotten what we've learned. But the Bible is telling us we've got to put into practice. James 1.22 tells us that. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. It's like looking in the mirror and you see that you need fixing. You look at your face, you get makapia-pia. You have sleep in your eyes. Or your hair is messy or whatever it is. If you're going somewhere... If you look at your face and it needs some cleaning, you clean it. You don't look at your face and say, oh, look, boss, up. (laughs) Right on? I can go looking like this. No, we usually see our face. Something's wrong with it. We fix it. The Bible is saying when we look into the mirror or when we are hearers of the word but not doers, who do we deceive? Do we deceive other people? Do we deceive our spouse, our children, our family? Who do we deceive? Ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And I thought, that's so counterproductive. No one wakes up in the morning saying, I hope I trick myself today. I hope I deceive myself today. And we, we even try. We set our clocks 10 minutes fast thinking when we wake up, Oh, you late. No, I'm not late. <laughs> Almost tricked me. Almost tricked me. I know it's 10 minutes fast because I went set them. I almost was deceived, but I not. But we do that. That's actually what we do. We deceive ourselves by not being doers of the word. We're the church. We don't just attend church. We are the church. We're supposed to be the church. On our, uh, it was our New Year's Eve services and New Year's services uh, that we we're talking about Jesus being the light and that we were to be the light into the world because Christ lives in us and we're going to be the light into this world. So that weekend, we go to Hapuna because it's sunny. It was kind of raining on this side. So everybody was, you know, getting out of the town to get some sun. When you go to Hapuna and it's break time, there's a lot of people. So parking is uh, almost none. So we get there and there's a parking stall. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. But, but there's someone standing in the parking stall. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to go there. And he's on the phone. And so I'm thinking, I don't know if he sees me. So I turn on my blinker and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. And he looks at us. He goes. 
And I'm looking, and, and the person in the car with me looks at him and goes, Oh, no, he just did not. <laughs> did he just say, no can park here? I said, well, I don't know. Maybe, well, let's go check. And then let's just see. Now, I'm boiling on the inside because I'm thinking, this is not, this is against the law somewhere. You can't stand in a parking stall. And so I'm going closer and I roll down my window and I'm thinking, got to be the light, got to be the light, got to be the light. Or a blowtorch. Either way. So I get closer and then, and I just roll down the window and, and, and this guy wasn't from here. I can kind of tell a little bit uh, just by the burn of his skin. And I said, I said, excuse me, um, are you saving this? He goes, yes, I'm saving this for my friend. He's coming. He's on his way right now. And the person in the car next to me said, he cannot save the stall. I said, what am I supposed to do? Bang him. I said, I can't, I can't bang this guy. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just bang him slow. <laughs> just, <laughs> I was like, I can't, you know, bang him slow. How do, how do I do this? So I just said, okay, thank you. And then, and then we left. And, and so as I'm driving, this person, okay, this person next to me is Heidi. Okay, I just got to let it out. It's Heidi. Okay? She's, she's okay with this. <laughs> right? So as we're driving... Praise the Lord, another stall opens up. And now I stop, turn on my blinker, and this car is reversing. And I'm thanking God. Beautiful day, everything is good. This car is reversing. It's never have another car that already went around the turn. He's gone. He's bye-bye. You already went around. You cannot reverse. This is a one-way. This guy reverses. And he reverses. And I'm thinking, where is this guy going? Where is he going to reverse to? He reverses right next to us. Puts on his blinker for this guy reversing. I'm thinking, am I invisible? Am I dead? What is happening? And so I said, Heidi, this guy not going to park there, huh? She's let me check. She, she's looking at the guy. And I said, don't look at it. She goes, I go and look. I go and look. And I go, he not looking at me. Yeah, he not looking. He's scared looking at me. I said, I scared look at you. And she's just looking. And I'm now on my, on my steering wheel. And I'm just thinking. I said, so an older guy, younger guy, I can take him out? What? What? <laughs> I didn't say that. So we're waiting. And sure enough, the car reverses. And he goes. And this guy takes the stall. And I'm thinking, this no can. How, how can this be? So finally we go around. And, and then we see the first guy who was saving the stall. And he, he's going to run in front of us. <laughs> Bang him. No, I, and he's running in front of us and tells us, wait, because he's going to pass. And I'm like, okay. So, and then he sees me. He goes, hey, the stall opened up. My friend's not coming. I said, all right on. Thank you. Turn around. Just about to go. And here comes a car. I'm like, is this a setup, God? Because if this is you, it's working. This is like so perfect. And so the guy takes the stall, and I'm thinking, how can this be? How can this be? So we drive around, and by this time, you know, things are heated. And I, I said, you know, Heidi, how about I drop you off? And then I'll go find some parking. And so we did that, found parking, going to the beach. We tell our friends about this, and, and it's, it's a weird situation. And my friends were behind us watching this. And they were saying, yeah, we was wondering what you guys were going to do. We was thinking, you guys going to bang them. What are you guys going to do? You know, you're the pastor, so we like, no, what you going to do? And we're on the beach, and then I'm, we're done with it. But Heidi says, you know, I'm going to show you which guy. 
What a guy stage. Telling all our friends. I tell you what a guy. I said, Heidi, just let it go. Doesn't matter already. Let's let, not that let ruin our day. Just let it go. She goes, okay, you're right. Damn, him, damn. Him. Hey, guys, that's the guy. Right there. Right there. That's the guy. <laughs> I thought, this is as real as it's going to get. And, you know, I battled with that day, and there's things that went on inside of our hearts. And, and I thought, God, what is this? Is this a test? And he said, yep, it is. And I said, but why, why, why do you test us? And then he said, because you're doers of the word. I I test you not so that you fail, but so that you pass. Now, I don't know if I passed because of the things that were going on in the heart. I don't know if I passed, but I do know this. That there's going to be situations that people are not going to know us. They're not going to know who we are. But there are going to be times where our friends will be right behind us, just watching us. Not to judge, but they're watching. How, how are we going to respond? How are we going to be as the church? You see, when Jesus was speaking to people and when he spoke to Nathaniel, he spoke to Philip, he said, come follow me. Sometimes we follow ourselves more than we follow Jesus Christ. And we're, we're not able to bring out the best in other people. Samuel spoke into the life of David, but brought out what was already in him through God, what God was doing. Ezekiel was able to speak to the valley of dry bones and bring it to life. But it wasn't them. It was the Lord. See, you and I are going to be faced with many people in parking stalls, on the road, in the restaurant, at work, at home, at school. We're going to deal with this. But how are we going to respond in those situations? See, even, even what little you have, God can use. Embrace it. Embrace whatever you believe with Jesus Christ. Don't just attend church. Be the church. We're going to be tested more out there than we will be in here. So where does application need to be? Not necessarily in here, but more out there. We're going to be tested. Matthew 5.16 says to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. This Wednesday, some of you know about this. uh, My pastor friend TJ Gorham is going to come up and he's going to share about a situation he was in. That he was uh, doing missionary work in Laos and he was captured and ready for execution. And he's going to share how God was able to move through that situation and how he was able to be a light to people. And so this Wednesday, come and check it out. We also have it on the website if you need more information. But he's just going to share how he went through that situation but was still able to glorify God. Now, we may never come across a situation like that, but we are going to be tested. Are we ready for those tests? See, we deceive ourselves by not being the church. In other words, we, we deceive ourselves by being counteractive in what God is trying to bring out in us. He says, I want you to be the church so that people can see the church and then find me. Yeah, but what if, what if these people are obnoxious? What if they're, you know... Uh, They irritate me or frustrate me. What if, you know, I work with them all the time, so it's hard to even witness to them or or be a living testimony for you. How do I do this? Here's the last thing, and you can write this in. To focus on Jesus, not other people's faults. 
focus on Jesus, not their faults. People will have faults. We're going to encounter many people with faults. That's our Romans 20, uh, excuse me, 323. It reminds us, for everyone has sinned. How many people fall short of God's glorious standards? All, everyone. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. And sometimes we interpret this scripture in this way. For everyone must have God's standards, not sin and fall short. That's how we interpret it. Everyone must have God's standards, not fall short and sin. That's that's how we think about it. But realistically, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. We can't expect a non-Christian to behave like a Christian. Sometimes we as Christians don't behave like Christians. Much less people who don't know Christ. Well, how are you supposed to know if they're a Christian or not? How do you know how you're supposed to behave around people? You don't focus on people's behaviors nor their faults. You focus on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Him. That's why we focus on Him, not on people's faults. Because we don't know where everybody stands. We don't, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're going through. We can't even see what Jesus sees in them. Because he sees more than we see. We, we usually see the outside. We make a judgment and then that's it. But God says, that's not what I see. I can see 20, 30 years down the road. But I'm going to use you to reach them. But you got to focus on me, not their faults. And then you're going to reach people for me. Even with little, I can use. This guy came to church wearing these black boots. And... Uh, Black trench coat, gold chains, living with his girlfriend. But people focused on this man's potential and the Jesus that was in him more than this person's faults. Then, eventually, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. This person got married, started serving people, started serving around people. People surrounded him, loved him, loved him to Jesus his best. And this year, he's going to celebrate being married 21 years. Has two adult children, two grandchildren, one on the way, and is currently pastoring this church today. Now think about it. If God can change, I am admitting being the chief sinner. I know my, my faults and my flaws. I'm telling you, if God can change me, he can change absolutely anyone. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm, I'm, I know my, fault, my faults. And so does God. And you may look at your life and say, but I don't do this. You've got to stop that. Focus on Jesus more than people's faults, including your own. Focus on Him. Focus on Him more than you do your faults. James 5, 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. See, many of us have experienced this firsthand, that we wandered away, but someone brought us back. Someone loved us enough. God says, now you do the same for someone else. That you focus on me, not their faults, but you focus on me. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, 
But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, we all do something for Christ. That although we're different, we have differences, and and we all have different personalities, we're one body. All for Christ. That everything we do is for Christ. And we focus on Him, not our faults, not our flaws, but we focus on Jesus Christ. And then he says this, because everyone plays a part. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Members individually. In other words, people will get hurt in church. But you may be that very person who brings healing to those who are hurt. Because we understand that hurt people hurt people. But healed people help hurt people heal. You be the church. Everyone plays a part. You be the person who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my part. I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to read a, a little story to you. It's called Make It Count. And I'll, I'll close with this. And it says, If you're fortunate, you may live 100 years. But in this life, there are no guarantees. The Bible describes life as a vapor. A flash in the pan, a precious but fleeting gift. Fact, you will spend more time dead than alive. And when your life ends, there are no second chances, which means that life is too short and too valuable to waste. But here's the good news. Today is a very special day because you're still alive, which means you have one more day to make this life count. One more day to change the trajectory of your life. One more day to stop chasing empty promises and focus on the only things that matter. Loving God and loving others. There is no guarantee of tomorrow, but you have today. It is a gift. Make it count. Don't just attend church. Be the church. Could you say amen to that? I say amen to that. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads as we close together. Lord, you have given us such an example to follow, not just through your word and through these examples of men like Samuel and Ezekiel and your very own life and how to bring the best out of other people. You have called us to be the church. We're the called out ones. We don't just attend church, Lord. We are the church. We need to be the church. And even though we have little... You can even take what little we have and use it for your glory. I pray for every single person here, Lord, that you will empower them with your spirit. It's not a spirit of fear or timidity. It is of love, self-discipline. It is powerful. Empower us as the church to be the church. We thank you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen.